It's Thursday, September 29th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, lawns are terrible for the environment, but is ripping them out altogether the right answer? Plus, why decorating your home for the holidays is actually really good for your health, and other facts I'm overhyping to justify the many decorative gourds in my house. And a very popular discontinued item that might be returning to McDonald's next month. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. You have perhaps heard the backlash against lawns. It's one of the things Gen Z is especially vocal about. If millennials killed department stores and cable TV and home ownership, Gen Z is already getting busy with killing off things like lawns and almond milk. Don't even get them started on soy, you troglodyte. Though, like with everything millennials have allegedly killed, some of the things that Gen Z dislikes is because we've left them in a world in which the thing in question is no longer feasibly within reach, or because, it turns out, it's actually pretty bad for us or the environment. Case in point, lawns. It's not just that keeping up with mowing as often as your HOA demands it is annoying, though that whole premise is a large contributor to the problem. Lawns these days are rarely grown from plants native to the local ecosystem, especially in regions like the southwestern United States. So you're messing with the local ecosystem, and since it's not suited for that climate, it requires a lot more maintenance, namely, a lot more water. Some estimates say as much as 75% of a household's water consumption goes to keeping lawns watered. Others say it's closer to 30%. It varies where you live, how much land you have, how fastidiously you keep up with your lawn. But the EPA says that landscape irrigation nationwide is estimated to total 9 billion gallons per day. And 50% of that is wasted from inefficient water methods. But water aside, having non-native grass and mowing it all the time also reduces biodiversity. Lawns cut less often have been found to have more bees and other insects attracted to the area. The downsides of lawns on the environment is gaining steam. Some municipalities in the southwest have been incentivizing people to rip out their turf, or even mandating it be removed by a certain deadline and replaced with alternatives that use less water. Some of the incentivizing programs have been called Cash for Grass, which, you know, if I heard that there was something in Southern California called Cash for Grass, that is not what I would think of. But anyways, despite all these downsides to lawns, it turns out we might want to think through all the alternatives before just ripping out turf willy-nilly. Quoting Wired, Turf grass does one good thing. It's a kind of air conditioning. As plants photosynthesize, they spit out water vapor, along with oxygen, cooling the surrounding air. This is known as evapotranspiration. Because of this sweating, rural areas can be up to 20 degrees Fahrenheit cooler than adjacent cities, where a built environment that's largely asphalt and concrete instead soaks up the sun's energy. Accordingly, scientists are encouraging city planners to deploy more green spaces to attenuate this urban heat island effect. Ripping out lawns could actually create a little bit more heat, suggests a new small-scale study in the journal Hydrology, end quote. In the study, scientists monitored three different sites on the Arizona State University campus with different kinds of landscaping. 
One was an area with turf, trees, and other water-intensive plants. Another was filled with dry desert species, including flowers for native pollinators and branches for birds. And the third was a sort of middle-ground oasis with a mix of both extremes. And here's what's interesting. The water-intensive plant area ended up being the coolest. The dry local species one, on average, was four and a half degrees hotter than the other two areas. It required less water, yes, but it was also hotter. The oasis, predictably, was in the middle. It was a little cooler than the dry area and didn't require as much water as the turfed one. This was a very short-term study with a tiny sample size, but it gives credence to the idea that maybe the ideal landscape is one with some grass, but also ample native vegetation. Or instead of grass, maybe we just use more native vegetation that has some kind of green cooling element to it. Every region is going to require a different plan for optimum cooling and water usage, but that's kind of the point. Krista Brelsford, an environmental scientist, told Wired that these challenges and the extreme heat that more and more city dwellers will continue to be exposed to, while bad, is also an opportunity. She said, quote, This paper shows that by different choices of landscaping, there are small-scale choices that people make about landscaping in urban forums that can have significant impacts on the experience of heat for people. End quote. And Ian McRae, an innovation designer at the University of California, Berkeley, who was not involved in the study, told Wired, quote, We love our lawns for varying reasons, but they are overvalued and overutilized relative to the variety of planting palettes available to us to create spaces we want to be in, spaces that can perform far more effectively from a cooling and water use standpoint, end quote. He adds that it's not so much the grass itself that's cooling the area, but the soil. He explained to Wired that since grass tends to be very short or cut very short, the sun hits the soil underneath it and evaporates the water soaked into the ground. There's still a lot of factors that will have to be considered, though. Some that Wired points out include making sure that the plant species chosen will be able to survive long-term in that environment even as it continues to warm, so cities or individuals don't invest a ton of money in a bunch of plants that just die off in five years. Also, some plants have a tendency to stop releasing water vapor as a defense mechanism when it gets too hot. They survive, but their cooling effects won't really be in effect during heat waves when they're also the most needed. But within all the challenges are so many possibilities, many of which I've mentioned in previous episodes. Growing crops beneath rooftop solar panels, moving more food production into cities where they can use recycled wastewater, using reflective roofs to reduce heat in buildings, and implementing other shade structures that aren't necessarily trees. There are a ton of possibilities. We just need them to take off. We need people to be ready for the world to look a little different. And fighting against the picture-perfect expanse of green lawns is one of the biggest hurdles. In a study recounted in Discover Magazine last year, ecology researchers gave households in Massachusetts free lawn mowing services, but cut all the lawns at different times to try to determine an optimal interval between mowing lawns. Some households went three weeks in between each mowing, and in those households, participants reported having to ward off neighbors who tried to mow their lawns for them, assuming that the household members must have been injured or out of town to not be able to keep up with mowing their lawn. Social stigma, 
HOA requirements, feeling like you're fulfilling some American myth of success by having a huge and perfectly landscaped lawn, we have made lawns way too important in our culture, especially for how much they're hogging our water. But they don't have to go away completely. We can have, perhaps, even nicer, more extravagant-looking landscaping if we want it. Just landscaping that better supports the environment, the local ecosystem, and keeps us cool at the same time. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Hello, it's your local holiday fanatic with findings from an article the algorithm handpicked specifically to validate all of my actions and make me feel like a better human. Maybe it will do the same for you or inspire you to join us enlightened elites who know the real truth, decorating your home for the holidays, especially during the autumn, is actually very good for you. Here's something longtime listeners may know about me. I love pumpkins. Like, a lot. It would be my dream to one day own and operate a pumpkin patch. I like how they look, I like how they taste, I like carving them, I love their unique history and curiously enduring appeal to Americans. And when someone asks me, like, really, why do I like pumpkins so much, I usually find myself stumbling over my words about how they're just visually appealing. I mean, they're so big and round and brightly colored. Despite my inability to exactly articulate this appeal, it does have a historical undergirding. For centuries, pumpkins appeared in paintings as symbols of bounty, fertility, rustic self-sufficiency, and occasionally sensuality. Their plumpness and bright color attracted people to them and endowed the pumpkins with many meanings and symbols over the years. Sometimes they appeared in paintings alongside other harvested foods that clearly would not have been in season at the same time, but the artist added the pumpkin because it just made everything look a bit more interesting. Turns out, a 2020 study published in the journal Eye Perception that found similar patterns of emotional association with color showed that the color orange was associated with joy and overall positive feelings. Those pops of orange pumpkins and old paintings really did make the painting overall a bit happier. And the little pumpkins we decorate our houses with can do the same, triggering a bubble of happiness whenever you walk into the room and spot it. Further, that same study said yellow is also associated with feelings of joy and amusement. Yellow and orange are the predominant colors we use when decorating our homes for fall. And if this study is to believe, it makes sense why so many of us like it so much. 
But zooming out to all holidays, not just Halloween, Thanksgiving, and the autumn season, this HuffPost article the algorithm served up to me also emphasizes a few points that I've made before, especially in the earlier days of the pandemic. First, that regular traditions can act as signposts in our lives, especially important in times of heightened stress or monotony. They can give us something to look forward to, and the longer they go on, they may remind you of good times from the past, perhaps how much fun you had doing the same thing last year, or evoking positive memories from childhood. And for some, traditions, like decorating for the holidays, can also be a welcome source of stability. There could be a ton of upheaval in your life one year, but getting out the same box of decorations and turning on some music while you hang them up could be the one unchanging thing you can rely on that season. HuffPost spoke to Kim Gorgans, a clinical professor of psychology at the University of Denver, who said that humans thrive on control and habits. A lot of that control is an illusion, but it fuels our mental stability nonetheless, she says. So the places in which we do really have control, like when and where we can put a decorative gourd on a shelf, can help us feel more stable in a world of uncontrollable variables. And that physical environment, she says, plays a large part in our perception of control. If you're privileged enough to have a home you can exert some control over, decorating in whatever way you can is a way to celebrate that home. Gorgans compares it to animals making dens. We're one of the few mammals that don't do that. So doing something like decorating and making our home space our own has deep psychological value and is even noted as being especially crucial for someone healing after leaving an unsafe situation and now having their own space. And finally, a point that applies more to certain parts of the world and did not really apply to me growing up in Texas, which is one theory I have for why I do like decorating for holidays so much more now, As the weather gets colder and the days get shorter, we spend more time indoors. So we want the place we're spending so much time in to look nice. And with less sun making it harder to keep our spirits up, something like a splash of bright colors or a goofy decoration can actually really help. So if you're looking for a reason to justify your love of decorating for the holidays, there you go. If you've never really gotten into it, maybe give it a try. It doesn't have to require a lot of money, although it can, so watch out. There are tons of free and DIY ways to decorate posted all over places like Instagram and Pinterest. And of course, maybe you have tried decorating for the holidays and it is simply not for you, or different circumstances of your home life make it impossible to do so right now. There are still plenty of other traditions and activities that can hit some of these same points. Going out for a hike to see the changing leaves, watching a certain movie on the same date every year, having a special drink just for this season, or trying your hand at some new hobby with a seasonal twist. As the spirits prepare to visit us this Halloween, we've got to remember to try to keep up our own and each other's spirits as well, instead of dragging each other down just because someone gets unreasonably excited about decorative gourds. Yesterday, I told you how Taco Bell is currently running a public vote to decide what discontinued menu item to bring back for a limited time to the U.S. Well, word on the streets, literally the media outlet I first saw this reported in is called The Street, word on the street is that McDonald's might be planning to bring back a popular discontinued item next month as well. 
They've gotten into the same trend as Taco Bell, posting a bring back blank prompt on Twitter, implying that they'll bring back their old snack wraps, and actually bringing back both Sichuan sauce and the steak bagel breakfast sandwich, the latter just as a test so far. But some places are reporting that McDonald's will be bringing back their old Happy Meal Halloween buckets. McDonald's has not yet confirmed this, but one Instagram account, Marky Devo, has announced it as fact, and he apparently has a very good track record for these sorts of things. So many outlets are now also reporting it as fact. The Halloween buckets first debuted in 1986. They're reusable buckets that the Happy Meals get placed in, but then can be used for trick-or-treating later. There was a jack-o'-lantern-faced one named McPunkin, a ghost face named McBoo, and a monster face named McGoblin. Originally, they were all orange, but in subsequent years, McBoo became white and McGoblin became green. Sometimes McGoblin was replaced by a witch. There were a number of variations to the lineup and designs over the years. One year, they were glow-in-the-dark. Another year, the lids could double as cookie cutters. And one year, they were just reusable bags. What a letdown. The last time McDonald's offered the buckets was in 2016. But now, they might be back. Though, as CNET put it, quote, Without confirmation, we can't say for sure that the McDonald's Halloween buckets are returning, just as Linus could never guarantee the arrival of the Great Pumpkin. End quote. And if you want to learn more or have your memory refreshed on way more about these McDonald's buckets, I'm putting a link to an article from Nightmare Nostalgia on the history of the buckets, as well as an episode of the Preserve Halloween podcast hosted by one of the preeminent collectors and experts on the buckets, Gregory Hallows. No doubt if they do come back, allegedly on October 18th, lots of adults will be buying Happy Meals in the buckets to relive their childhoods or add to their collections. And speaking of which, there's another nostalgic McDonald's item that has been confirmed as returning. Toys featuring the original McDonald's cast of characters, Grimace, Hamburglar, and Birdie. These toys will only come in adult Happy Meals. A new special which is packaged to look just like a kid's Happy Meal, but with an adult-sized 10-piece McNugget or Big Mac combo. And the whole thing is a collaboration with popular streetwear brand Cactus Plant Flea Markets. So, speaking of ways to tap into tradition and seasonal memories of good times, if your childhood included any McDonald's Happy Meals, or you always wished it had, this month is apparently the month for you. All right, well, that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.